That, your majesty, is the new world. That's from a movie called Elizabeth, the Golden Age, and that's Sir Walter Raleigh describing the, the feelings of um, hope after waiting and then the excitement in seeing land, the new world. The new world he was referring to was the um, east coast of the USA. Um, today I want to talk about hope. And followers of Jesus live with a, a certain hope. I imagine when Raleigh was uh, on his boat looking for land, I don't think it was a certain hope, but followers of Jesus believe with a certain hope uh, that the kingdom of God is coming and it's going to come in all its completeness when Jesus returns. I was away at uh, Easter and I, I, I found a guy and he had this T-shirt on and... Not, not being too, too uh, up with youth jargon, and I, when I write an SMS, I write the whole lot. But I had to ask this guy, what does BRB stand for? And uh, he said it stands for Be Right Back. And uh, <laughs> di- didn't you know that? That's two of us. <laughs> Who did know that? Yeah, yeah. Now, Jesus' return is a certain hope. I I had to Google BRB and it said there it is one of the most commonly used acronyms in online chat and texting. No, I didn't know it. Um, It communicates that the person is leaving for a moment but will be back shortly. And then it did say that it's also a very good way of getting rid of somebody. (laughs) So they say BRB but you never come back. Well... The return of Jesus is the the constant theme of the early Christians, this idea that Jesus is coming back. Um, And Matt touched on this last Sunday when he was talking about the risen Jesus, the risen king, um, that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as we call it, has an already aspect, has happened already, and a not yet aspect. And um, we've looked at the already part over the Easter period, haven't we? We looked at Jesus, the suffering king, the one who in an unwavering way, in a resolute way, said, I've set my face to go towards Jerusalem, knowing that I've got to suffer, that I'm going to die. Uh, But it's a purposeful, resolute, unwavering journey to the cross. And then we looked at the welcomed king, who was welcomed like a king on that Palm Sunday. Uh, Then we looked at the crucified king on Good Friday as we walked around the, the place here. And last Sunday we looked at the risen king. Today we're going to talk then about the coming king. You see, it's not the end of the story when we, when we hear about the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension back into heaven. You know, in the, um, in the book of Acts, we'll go back one, a bit slow here. We'll go back one more. Okay, <laughs> Peter preaches and he says this, Friends... I realise that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be washed away, wiped away, and then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. 
There's a couple of uh, ideas I want to talk about before we really talk about Jesus as the coming king. And there's these ideas. First of all, there's this idea of heaven and earth. Some of you might be familiar with the Bible Project. And it ha- they put together some great little um, videos. And they've got one called Heaven and Earth. And I've just grabbed some of their images. But the idea of these images is that in the beginning, heaven and earth were actually uh, spheres or areas. So God's sphere we would call heaven, and our sphere is earth. So the pink one is our sphere, and the, and the blue one is, is God's sphere. But in the beginning, those spheres overlapped completely, and, and God's sphere and our sphere uh, were together. But then when uh, the first people turned away from God, those spheres became quite separate, and they were separated because in God's sphere, there was goodness and justice and beauty, but in our sphere, there's sin and injustice and ugliness. And so there was that uh, separation. And yet these spheres still can overlap, and you can see an intersection between the spheres. In the Old Testament, that intersection uh, was primarily the temple. The temple was the place where God presenced himself with his people. And so the sphere of our sphere and God's sphere overlapped in the temple. And then in the coming of Jesus, Jesus comes into the world, God's own son, and he intersects with our world. And as you see that Jesus goes out and there's little, little, little dots on that, that picture, he goes out and he heals people. And God's sphere breaks into our sphere. He goes out, he raises the dead. God's sphere breaks into our sphere. And Jesus is constantly saying as he goes about, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying that as he's come and he's entered this world, God's sphere has entered our sphere. But it's not completely overcome our sphere. The two spheres haven't come back into uh, sync again like in the beginning. And yet God's sphere is breaking into ours. And then we have Jesus who dies on a cross. And it's as if in his death he absorbs some of that sin, all of that sin, that ugliness, and he makes it possible for us to come back into relationship with God. I'm not responding very well here today. (laughs) And then we have, as Jesus, the word and the message of Jesus gets out and impacts more and more people, there are little outposts, if you like, little pockets of God's sphere in our world. But the reality is that now, and this is the period we live in, God's sphere and our sphere only intersect partially, not fully. But there's coming a day. Give it another push. <laughs> are you doing it for me? <laughs> no, that's okay. It's working. Um, when those spheres are going to come back together, and that day is when Jesus comes again and he brings everything. He makes everything right, and the Bible talks about that as a new heaven and a new earth. And I think one of the things that we need to to um, be clear about is that often we think about we just we go to heaven up there somewhere when we die. Uh, the Bible's story is that when Jesus comes again, heaven and earth uh, are back as they should be, and, and heaven and earth are intersecting again. And God talks about uh, the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And so we've got this idea that the kingdom of God is near in Jesus. The kingdom of God has come, and yet the kingdom of God is yet to be consummated. It's come, but it's not come in completion. It's a little bit like that 
movie, as uh, Sir Walter Raleigh is describing, heading towards that land, it's appearing little by little, uh, a dot, a smudge, a stain, a line, and then land. And uh, we look forward to that day when Jesus comes again and these two uh, circles, if you like, intersect completely. Now, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God and he often talked about it in uh, stories or parables. And uh, you'll be familiar with some of these and I've got a, a slide here that's got just some pictures on it. Five, six, there. <laughs> um, the first story is the parable of the sower, the story of the sower. A sower goes out to sow and he sows seed. And yet some seed falls on a pathway, no soil. Some seed falls on uh, rocky ground, very shallow soil. Some seed falls among thorns. All those seeds, very unproductive. And yet some seed falls on good soil. And so there's this sense in which the kingdom of God, although it's some seed falls on good soil, it's not as if all of the seed's fallen and it's all grown. The, the, the kingdom of God is resistible. It doesn't actually take root everywhere. Um, it coexists, if you like, with in their time with the evil regime of Rome. So it was making inroads, but it was uh, resistible. And then there's the one about the mustard seed. See that little fingers holding a mustard seed? And, uh, and then a big tree. Uh, the mustard seed begins so small that people mock and scorn. What a little seed. Uh, and yet, you know, they give it no chance of any success and yet it grows into this massive tree that overshadows every other plant in the garden. So small beginnings. Is that that super ad from little things? Big things grow. Um, but it's not about an industry super fund, is it? It's about uh, the kingdom of God. It has small beginnings but it's going to grow and it's going to um, bring shade and overshadow every other plant. And then there's that uh, story, this is for Wes, about the, uh, the pearl, <laughs> the pearl of great price. Um, this idea that uh, a guy goes out and he, he finds this pearl and he, he sells up everything he has because he sees that this pearl is, is such a treasure that he needs to have it. Um, and it, it seems like foolishness that you would sell everything just for this pearl, and yet he does. The idea is that this king and this kingdom are worth trading everything for. And so, uh, as Tim talked about in the first uh, week of this series about the suffering king, um, the challenge was to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. Um, and that seemed really hard. And yet, looking back, what a shrewd investment. The outcome of following this king and being a part of this kingdom is not, a, not remorse, but it's, it's joy. So we say the king is coming back. Now Luke, who um, continues the story that he began in his gospel by uh, writing the book we know as the book of Acts, describes how Jesus' closest disciples even struggled to understand this double view of the kingdom. This Jewish expectation was that Messiah would come and everything would be made right. Now, Messiah has come and things are beginning to be made right, but then the Messiah dies, he rises again. And even after his resurrection, when they'd understood that he hadn't come as a conquering king, but rather as a king who was, was clothed in humility and weakness, even then, one thought obsessed them, and it was this thought, 
So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They were still, uh, no doubt, thinking of a visible kingdom to replace the rule of Rome. And Jesus brushed aside their question and he commanded them to carry word about him to the ends of the earth. And that's when, to their amazement, he ascended out of sight. It says this, After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And so immediately after Jesus' ascension back into heaven, there's this promise that he's coming back. He's coming back. Well, I want to look just briefly this morning about at what his coming will be like. First, I want to suggest that he'll come with power as king of kings. When Jesus came first, he came humbly and he came unobtrusively. When he was crucified, they put a purple robe on him and they crowned him with a crown of thorns. When he comes back, he's going to come back as king. He's going to come back with a royal crown. He's going to be welcomed as a royal king. It's going to be a royal appearance. There's a, a word in the New Testament, parousia, and it has this idea of a royal appearance. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 2 in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters, he talks about how um, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he humbled himself, he made himself nothing. He took on himself the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of of us. And being found in appearance as a a human being, um, he, he, he made himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus, it was just a, a downward, humiliating process to the point of death. But then that passage in Philippians 2 says, but God has highly exalted him after that and he's given him a name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day when every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In the book of Revelation, which is a hard book to understand, it's what they call apocalyptic literature, and uh, John has this vision of the future. And uh, in chapter 19, he, he sees Jesus referred to as the faithful and true, coming riding on a white horse, and it refers to him then again as the word of God, and then it says his name is written on his, his uh, cloak and on his thigh, I think it says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus comes again, he'll come as king. We've talked about this already, but when the kingdom comes in all its fullness, God's space will fully intersect with our space and we're gonna, gonna, Jesus is going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth. We don't know what that renewed heaven and earth is, is like. I imagine there's a heck of a lot of renewing has got to go on. But it's, it's, it's not a new earth, it's a renewed earth. When he comes, he's going to come as a just judge to set the world right. You know, this isn't something to fear for followers of Jesus. Paul says as much in in Romans 8, he says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus' death and, and resurrection have made that possible, that we can come to God with no fear 
And, you know, the anticipation of a day when all wrongs are going to be righted, where injustice and bullying and violence um, and anger and oppression are dealt with once for all, it's something that's been yearned for uh, and it's something that we yearn for still in our broken world when justice actually is overflowing in our world. And so when Jesus comes, he's going to come as the just judge. You know, one of the things that I think for followers of Jesus is going to be uh, pretty special is that we'll be able to experience his personal presence. I don't know if you ever had a friend who you've only ever communicated with by email or by phone and you'd never actually met them face to face. When you meet them face to face, it's a whole new uh, ball game, isn't it? And uh, that's a bit like what it's going to be when we see Jesus face to face. In this life, um, we've known him as followers of Jesus, if we are. We've known him, we've known his presence, we've, we've known him through the word, through the Bible, we've known him through prayer, we've known him as we, we, we have the spirit of God living within us, we've even known him, some would say, through the faces of the poor. But now, when Jesus comes again, that physically absent Jesus will be with us personally and we'll see him face to face. I think 1 Corinthians 13, that amazing chapter about love, um, talks about now we see through a glass but darkly and then we're going to see face to face. And it talks about knowing and being fully known and uh, I think that's something amazing to look forward to. And then finally, the last little thing I want to say is that we're going to have renewed bodies. Now, I just put a picture up here for you. Uh, This is my granddaughter, we had them staying with us a little while ago and uh, she's doing this all and more than that, the legs were going down just about to where her head was and uh, she says to me, Pa, look at this, look at this. Can you do this, Pa? <laughs> I'm always for a challenge. <laughs> and I sort of got up in that position and then I sort of overbalanced a bit and I ended up roll, doing a full roll on my neck. I haven't been the same since. <laughs> and now when I move my neck, it goes click. It's really hard when you're trying to reverse the car. But you know, when Jesus returns, I'll go back, I'll go back. When Jesus returns, the bodies of his followers, the Bible tells us, are going to be raised and renewed. They'll be physical bodies, but they'll be animated or given life in a a new way. Our, Our normal human bodies, the ones we're sitting in here today, if you're young, you probably feel fit when you're my age, everything aches. Um, but our, our normal human bodies are animated in a way that gets us through our present lives, but we're ultimately powerless in the face of illness or injury or decay or death. Uh, but our resurrected, renewed bodies, if we're followers of Jesus, will be animated by God's breath of new life, um, this energising power of God's new creation. And uh, they won't be subject to corruption or, or decay or death. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? So what do we do in the meantime? We're in this, in this period, aren't we, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And I want to just uh, close and suggest three things that are really important. The first thing is this, and it's a question, and these are the questions I'd like to leave with you this, with you this morning to contemplate. And the first is, have you bowed your knee to the King of Kings? The message that followers of Jesus have to share is the message of a different kind of kingdom. We've talked about that. It's a kingdom based solely on God's grace 
and God's forgiveness. It's the story of God reconciling broken people to himself. It's a story of God's reconciling love for this world. And it's the story of what Jesus accomplished for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. And Jesus doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't force himself on me. And as a church here, we don't want to force Jesus on you. But God so wants you to know uh, life through Jesus, his son. And it involves surrender to the one who is the king of kings. So I wonder, have you bowed your knee to the king of kings? And secondly, I want to um, suggest in the meantime, if we're followers of Jesus, we have this task of displaying the signs of the kingdom of God. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. There's this life that we're um, to fully embrace as followers of Jesus because we're to be a foretaste of the kingdom in all its fullness. If we're followers of Jesus, we have the task of displaying, if you like, the signs of the kingdom of God. The world that watches you, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, is going to judge the merits of his kingdom and its king by us. The kingdom is already but not yet and we're in this transition and we're to be the advance guard, if you like, of a kingdom from another world. A community that welcomes people of all races, all social classes. A community characterised by love and not polarisation. A community that cares most of all for its weakest members. A community whose members compete for the privilege of serving one another. You like the sound of that sort of community? Where to be the advanced copy, if you like, of the kingdom, the consummated kingdom when heaven and earth and those two spheres are one. And so for the challenge for us is to live the life in that same passage in Colossians 3, Paul talks about, it's almost like putting on and putting off clothes, he talks about all these things that we need to put off because they're not compatible with life in the kingdom. And he talks about some things that we need to put on and they're, they're sort of things that we, we get. He says, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience. Some great words to focus on those five words and then it says over all these things put on love which binds them all together I wonder are you putting on those things Jesus followers are meant to live like that and then the final thing I want to say is in the meantime is are you living in healthy anticipation? Stu gave us a little bit, a bit of an idea about what anticipation looks like and uh, so did Sir Walter Raleigh. These are some verses from First uh, John, one of the, John's epistles, and he says, And now, children, abide in him or stay close to Jesus so that when he's revealed we may have boldness and may not be put to shame before him at his royal appearing. And he says, look at the remarkable love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. 
Beloved ones, we're now already God's children. It hasn't yet revealed what we're going to be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in them, in him, make themselves pure just as he is pure. There's a, a, a responsibility that we have as we live in healthy anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And it's to live lives that aren't going to be ashamed before him when he comes. I find that challenging because if you're, if you're like me, there's times when I do that pretty well and there's times when I do it pretty badly. And the challenge for us is to be so waiting for the return of the king that we wait with great anticipation and expectation and we live in the light of that. I just want to close with a little story and the band are going to come up and they're going to uh, sing a, a beautiful song in closing. But it's the story of uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton and he was a, uh, a great explorer of the Antarctic and uh, on one occasion he was forced to leave some of his men on this island called Elephant Island and it was um, he, he left them and as soon as he left them the weather just turned absolutely foul and he tried I think on two occasions to uh, get back to them but both of those attempts were thwarted so they're on this Antarctic island uh, and the conditions, I read some of the, their little diary entries uh, just yesterday and the conditions were horrendous. But um, it was four and a half months before uh, Shackleton was able to get his boat back and uh, rescue these guys. And uh, he navigated his way up to the island and these where these members of his team were holed up and he was overjoyed that he, fa- he found them all alive. And uh, every man grabbed his gear within a very, very short time Uh, of the ship appearing and they jumped on board and when they were out of the most treacherous uh, waters Shackleton asked how it was that each man had been so fully prepared to leave just at the instant he arrived and he was told that every morning of their harrowing ordeal had started with their leader who was a guy by the name of Wild was his surname um, and he'd roll up his own sleeping bag and he'd shout out get your things together boys the boss may come today and uh, you know I think that's a Uh, the sense of Jesus is coming again we don't know when uh, but we need to be ready and we need to be living in the light of that so let me just close with these three things to reflect on have you bowed your knee to him are you embracing the life that he offers and are you living uh, in healthy anticipation a few weeks ago we had